0: Welcome back to LifeSong Radio. My name is Blake Shankle, along with Phil Ramsey, and we have the pastor of Kootenai Community Church, Pastor Jim Osmond. Jim, good to have you back with us.
1: Thanks. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: Yes, sir. And we've been talking about your book, God Doesn't Whisper, such a great book, such a great, I would say, uh, just a, a awesome add to your library. Hey, if you're listening to us also, um, uh, you can go, and Phil's going to put some information on how to order this book from Pastor Jim. If you can't afford this book, email me. I will send it to you. I've got oh, some coffee. I will wow. send it. I will. I will give yes. you this book. I think it's that important to be in 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 the hands of you. Just I do. I think it's something that needs to be on your desk. You need to flip to daily and 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 write in it and notate it. No notations in it. Be ready because this is infiltrating um our our churches today, especially in the Southern Baptist realm. And, and that's what we want to talk about today. We'll kind of just bring this to light a little bit more. And Jim is he has done a fabulous job of of looking into this and, and he's very influential in, in how he speaks on this. He's uh he actually has his own show. Jim, I just want to take just a few minutes and and you self-promote yourself, if you will. Tell us just a tad bit about uh your your church. And then also, I think you're on AGTV as well. Yeah. Tell us just a little bit about that, if you will.
1: Yeah, um, I pastor a small church in rural North Idaho, outside of Sandpoint, Idaho, Kootenay Community Church. I've been doing that since 1996, It'll be 25 years now this year. Um, I don't really have my own show or my own podcast. Um, the Sunday morning worship services are on the Christian Podcasting Community website and forum. And I did do two series of lessons with American Gospel TV I did a couple of teaching series for them, one on God doesn't whisper. How does God speak to us today? And then one of them on spiritual warfare uh, with my book, Truth or Territory. So I did do both of those for uh, AGTV.
0: That's right. You do have uh, you have that uh, truth or territory of spiritual warfare. And the other one is uh, why does the prosperous uh, or why does the wicked prosper? prosper? Yeah, the prosperity
1: of the wicked. It's an exposition of Psalm 73. A uh, Bible study of Psalm 73, and then a fourth book, "Selling the Stairway to Heaven," which deals with the heaven visitations of Colton Burpo and Don Piper and their claims to have visited heaven.
0: Mm-hmm. Very nice. So go check those out as well, and I think we'll put the links of there uh, to at least the Kootenay Community Church, and you can go and visit that. And 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 I would say. Put Jim on your rotation to be listening to to uh, Weekly Preach, and he does a wonderful job. Go to the, commu- uh, the Christian podcast community as well, which we're a part of. You can go to that. You can download that podcast, and it brings in so many 40 or 50 Christian podcasters. Jim is a part of that. Justin Peters is a part of that. We're a part of that. We're blessed to be able to part of that and to to be a part of this community with Jim and Justin and, and Andrew Rappaport and all the great podcasters out there. So get, go ahead and check that out. But let's get to our topic today. Phil, we talked about last time we brought up how, you know, why the Bible is authoritative in our life, mm-hmm. how we're not to be uh, listening for, uh, or looking for visions and dreams and and hearing audibly the voice of God, how we're uh, how Acts is not a uh, prescriptive book in the fact that it is uh, that we need to be looking for uh, these these uh, these uh, guidance, these spiritual guidance, these these uh, these miracles, if you will, that are in the book of Acts, how that's not the normative. In the the modern Christian church today, in our New Testament church today, how that was a first century thing, that was a transition. We talked about that last time, but today I really want to talk about if that's not the case, if that's not the normative. And Jim, we want to talk about how are we to make decisions then if we're not hearing promptings and nudgings, and I don't have the voice of God. Then how, I feel how am I, how am I to make decisions? I feel like I'm on an island if not.
1: Yeah, um, well, it comes back to the question of whether or not we believe the Scripture is sufficient for my decision-making uh, process. And people who believe that they're hearing from God and that hearing from God is necessary would say Scripture is not sufficient. Scripture is good as it goes; as far as it goes, it gives me the sort of the broad parameters in which I can make decisions. You know, it tells me that that God exists. I should do right things. I should try and live a godly life, etc. But it doesn't lay out for me the the details of that, the minutia of it. Who should I marry? What car should I buy? Which college should I attend? What ministry should I have? Which church should I go to? Uh, you know, how many kids should I have? What should I name my children? These are all decisions that we make and we make thousands of decisions each and every day. And people, some people think that what is needful for us to be able to make God honoring decisions is information that is not contained in scripture. So, so you want to so, deal with then, Like, what are the steps? Where, where do we yeah. go from here? <laughs>
0: Uh, Well, yeah. And that's what I was. Yeah, that's a great intro. And that's what I want to do is what are the steps? I mean, if this is if the if if we need to go to Scripture and what are these steps in which we need to, to be taking in order to make biblical decisions? Because Uh, I mean, we make decisions that are, that are constant thousands of decisions today, which hamburger to buy? Number one, number two, number three, right? Which gas do I Mm want to pump? And Phil says number three, like supersonic cheeseburger or, or, you know, which, uh, which Turkey do I buy? Which college do I go to? How do I marry? Right. Which woman is the right woman to marry? Which college do I need to go to? Which job is my, my vocational, you know, these vocational decisions, these vocational guidances is the, is the normative of which comes to our mind of, how do I do that on a daily basis?
1: Yeah, so the conventional methodology, which is what I critique in the book and, and really evaluate, is um, is called the hearing hearing the voice of God methodology. And people advocate uh, listening for God to whisper, expecting that God is going to speak to us outside of Scripture to give us direction, insight, wisdom, Uh, or even direct divine guidance to say that God wants us to do X over Y or A over B and that we should be making decisions on on that basis of of waiting for God to reveal through some method uh, what he wants for us to do. Um, It's kind of as, as if God were to have laid out a series of breadcrumbs for us and we're supposed to follow the breadcrumbs. We're supposed to hear a whisper, get an inclination or a nudging, and then we're supposed to put out a fleece and ask God to reveal his will through a fleece and then consult with other people and, and see if they're getting the same message from God that we are. And if scripture agrees and a fleece agrees and other people agree and our nudgings all agree and we hear this and we feel a peace about it in our heart, um, then we can go forward with confidence that God, that we're making the right decision. That's the, sort of the conventional paradigm. And I argue for what is called the wisdom model. And I think that this is what is revealed in scripture. And I think that this is the pattern that we see actually laid out in the book of Acts for decision making. And, and living life, it's the wisdom model. I didn't invent that. Uh, the first place I read it was in Gary Friesen's book, Decision-Making and the Will of God. So if you are wanting a, a thorough treatment of this methodology, I would commend that to you, Decision-Making and the Will of God. Greg Kokel has a series of audio lectures on that uh, subject by the same title, Decision-Making and the Will of God. Uh, Gary Friesen's book, is it's thick, it's 400 pages or so, almost 500 pages and he really lays that out in detail and i only give a chapter to it but i will i will i will very briefly explain the wisdom model the wisdom model says that god has given us the parameters in which we are to make decisions he has laid out for us his moral will and he has provided for us wisdom so moral will revealed in scripture has to do with abstaining from sexual immorality walking in holiness putting to death the deeds of the flesh Uh, living in obedience to scripture, following scriptures, moral dictates, uh, don't lie, don't steal, don't blaspheme, don't covet, don't gossip, don't slander. We're to live our lives in morally in obedience to God's revealed will in scripture. And that in scripture, he has laid out for us all of the things that constitute sin and righteousness. And he has revealed all of that to us. We need to know that. We need to know scripture so that we know the revealed moral will of God. So inside of those parameters, God has given to us then wisdom in Scripture. We find wisdom in Ecclesiastes, in the book of Proverbs. We find it in the principles, the precepts, the illustrations, the good examples, the bad examples in Scripture, which all agree and harmonize together. We see wisdom demonstrated. We are promised wisdom. We're promised that if we ask God for wisdom, he will give it to us. He has provided for us in Scripture. So he gives us wisdom. And he gives to us his moral will. And within the confines of God's moral will, as long as we're not making an unwise decision, we are free to decide to do anything we want with God's blessing. I don't believe that God is concerned whether I marry Sue or whether I marry Mary. So long as the woman that I'm marrying fits the parameters given to me in the word of God and in the book of Proverbs, I can make either choice and it will work out to be God's will. Uh, God is not concerned whether I live in. Detroit or Duluth or in Bangladesh, so long as I'm making my decision within the revealed will of God and I am applying wisdom to my situation, we can do whatever we want with God's blessing. That is the wisdom model. And that model says that God has given to us everything that we need for decision making in scripture. He's provided everything I need to know to not violate his moral will, and he's given me everything in scripture wisdom-wise by which I can make wise, God-honoring decisions. And when I when I do that, when I make a God honoring wise decision, I can trust that God is going to work out his will through that decision that I have made.
2: Well, That was 18.
1: Well,
0: but we make it so much harder than it is <laughs> though. You know, yeah. we've, we've made this thing into something that uh, we have to, in order to make these decisions that we have to hear from the, the, the voice of God, we have to have these inklings and these hunchings, but hunchings, but what ultimately, what it comes down to is, is, you really need to know your Bible.
2: Yeah. So when, some, when somebody would say that I was led by the spirit, you know, I was faced with a situation and God led me to do this or that, what would you say about that, Jim? Well, people
1: use yeah, people use that phrase differently than the scripture uses that phrase. The scripture uses that phrase in two locations in the book of Romans and in the book of Acts. And uh, I'm, I'm pulling up here those two references. Oh, my tablet's not working. Give me a second here. Um, yeah, the book of, the book of Rome, not, sorry, not the book of Acts, the book of Romans and the book of Galatians. Um, the book of Romans 8.14, for all who are being led by the spirit, these are the sons of God. Galatians 5.18 says, but if you are led by the spirit, you're no longer under the law. So people use that phrase, I was led by the spirit to do this. And then they, they look at those passages and say, see all who are the sons of God are led by the spirit. Well, the issue then comes down to what do you mean by being led by the Spirit? If you ask yourself, what does Paul mean when he describes being led by the Spirit? And then you read it in the context of Romans 8 and Romans or Galatians 5. He's talking about the same thing in both of those contexts. In both of those contexts, he's addressing the Christian's relationship to the law of God. And he is saying that those who are led by the Spirit, they are the ones who walk in accordance with the moral will of God while not being under the law, they instead do the deeds of the law which are written on their hearts. They are Christians who being led by the Spirit means you are putting to death the deeds of the flesh and that you are walking in obedience to God's commands. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit. Paul's argument in Romans 8 is that everybody who is a son of God is led by the Spirit and everybody who's being led by the Spirit and walking in obedience to the commands of the of God given by the Holy Spirit in Scripture, those are the sons of God. So he's simply making the case that when we put to death the deeds of the flesh and that we we deny the flesh and we mortify that and we live a sanctified, holy, God-honoring life, that's what it means to be led by the Spirit. Paul's not talking in either one of those contexts. Paul is not talking about decision-making. He's not talking about deciding who to marry or which house to buy or any of the things that people typically are talking about when when they mention being led by the Spirit. So what many Christians do with that phrase is that they they take it out of its context and they put an entirely different meaning into it. And then they use it as if that's what it means in Galatians uh, five and Romans eight. And that's not what that Paul is not talking about decision making. He's talking about mortifying the deeds of the flesh and living in obedience to scripture by the power of the Holy spirit.
2: So Roman and that would be in Romans eight, that's positional. That's separating those who are, who are led by the spirit versus those who are in the flesh. So that's, that's a position right. yeah. Next also. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, The sons
1: of God or the, the children yeah. of God are the ones who are, are the ones who put to death the deeds of the flesh and walk in the power of the Spirit. That's not something that unbelievers have the capacity to do. Paul makes that case in, in Romans 8 when he says that they can't subject themselves to the law of God and they're not even able to do it. They can't please God in their flesh. But he says those who please God are those who walk not in the flesh but in the Spirit, living in obedience to God's will and God's command. He's not talking about decision making.
0: It just it it's going back to the Word of God. Yeah. It's going back to living and obeying the Word of God. I, I like what J.I. Packer says in in the section of Thou our Thou our God in Knowing God. He says this about uh, this this basic mistake about guidance and understanding the guidance of the Spirit. And he says this. He says, what conduct of this sort shows us failure? And he's speaking of just this crazy conduct of 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 what people would call spirit led of just these. These nudges and these hunches of, of I need to go and I need to go like Beth Moore. I need to go brush this lady's hair in the airport. Right. I mean, that, that that's what he's referring to is these things. But he says, what conduct of this sort shows is failure to grasp that the fundamental mode whereby our rational, rational, it's key, creator guides his rational creatures is by rational understanding and application of his written word. This mode of guidance is fundamental, both because it limits the area with which vocational guidance, that would be our choices we make daily, is needed and given, and also because only those who have attuned themselves to it so that their basic attitudes are right and are likely to be able to recognize vocational guidance when it comes. He says this, continuing, but the true way to honor the Holy Spirit as our guide is to honor the holy scriptures through which he guides us. The fundamental guidance which God gives us shapes our lives. The instilling that is of the basic convictions, those attitudes, those ideals, those value judgments in terms of which we are to live is not a matter of inward promptings apart from the word, but of the pressure on our consciences of the portrayal of God's character and will in the word, which the spirit enlightens us to understand and apply to ourselves. He says this the basic form of divine guidance, therefore, is the presentation to us of positive ideals. As guidelines for all our living, I think it's rightly said by J.I. Packer. There is, and he's ultimately saying is, is, uh, you know, you're talking about decision making. What does God? Call us to do in making our decisions. He gives us ten commandments on which we're to live our lives by, right? He says, seek this virtue. Be kind to the person of Jesus. Husband, love your wives. Wives, love your husbands. Submit to them. Uh, slaves, submit to your masters. We have all these obe- all these commands in which we're to obey. We need to align our lives up to that, as well as the wisdom literature, and that's how we're to make our decisions. And then once all that's in line, and once we seek godly counsel then we can make that decision. Then what everything after that, if it's not a sin and it lines up with
2: scripture. Yeah. do it.
0: If I want to, if I want to marry, if I want to, I got to use that carefully. (laughs) If if my daughter wants to marry this guy or this guy, after she's made all those decisions and he's not an unbeliever, which one does God want
2: to marry? Yeah. And that's that's God's will.
0: Let's not make this, let's not make this hard, but it's driving us to the scripture, understanding scripture. What is God's will for our lives? We don't want to separate that. From making our decisions we got that that drives us but after all that's taken in count then we can just choose the freedom is there yeah. it's freedom in christ
2: yeah yeah
1: and there's something else that gets attached to this theology too people who advocate hearing from god before they make decisions they'll actually think that if you make a decision and things turn out poorly uh, like say your daughter marries man a instead of man b and then 15 years later he has an affair and walks out on her uh, you know, people would say, "Well, you obviously didn't listen to the voice of God because if you had married man B, he wouldn't have done that." So the th- fact that things turned out poorly for you, or that something bad happened, is obviously evidence that you weren't hearing the voice of God correctly. And and in their mind, they think that if you if you listen to the voice of God and you follow everything and you make all the right decisions, everything will always go well for you. And I say, no, that's not the case. Sometimes we can make sometimes we can make God glorifying and wise decisions and it won't work out well for us. Sometimes we can make a good decision that is morally acceptable to God and it's not unwise. And then something happens to us. We have to trust that even in the working out of those bad providences that God would use that to sanctify us, to make us holy, to teach us something about himself and to accomplish his purposes in our lives as if, as if God can't do any of that through suffering. So if I make a good wise moral decision, And I suffer as a result of that. That doesn't mean the decision was bad. It doesn't mean I didn't listen to God. It just means that in God's providence, he used that decision to accomplish, to teach me something through suffering or through affliction or through a bad consequence of that otherwise good decision.
0: Absolutely. And And we, and we
1: can't buy into the lie that if something bad happens, then God wasn't involved in it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I want to talk about that another time is just God's divine providence. You know, we talked about it a little bit last time mm-hmm. and, and we may not need to go into it anymore, but just his divine providence. And that 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 is his divine providence. And I would say this look to Christ. You just what you just said, it could be made up in the life of Christ. He did everything right. But yet, okay. where did it lead him? It didn't lead him into a um, uh, into this, 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 uh, this, it led him to the cross.
1: Yeah. And, ah. and, and, and we don't read in Luke that Jesus set his face to go towards Jerusalem and then he was crucified. So obviously he wasn't listening to the leading of the spirit when he did that, right? Yeah. Or that he was almost run off of a cliff. And if he'd only been listening for the voice of God, he would have known that he should have left uh, Nazareth the night before. You, you don't read that. There sometimes things happen, don't work out well for people who make good, biblical, wise and moral decisions. Sometimes the consequences of that are bad. But that right. it's not up to us to make the consequences and, and uh, right, and we can't assume that yeah. if we are only following God closely enough, that nothing bad will ever happen. There's no promise of that in Scripture. In yes. this world, we will have trials and tribulations. It's through many tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God. We should that expect a,
0: that. That is a guarantee. We can hang on to that promise. That will happen. Look at the Apostle Paul on his third missionary journey, by the way. Yeah. Um. But 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 when you say that, and the, here's the here's the 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 kickback we're going to get is is but Jim you're putting God in a box you're not allowing him to work you're you're stifling the Holy Spirit or you're not allowing him to move or to work as he should what about phrases like that?
1: <laughs> it, we're not putting God in a box if we're simply acknowledging what God has already revealed about himself that's not putting God in a box it's recognizing revelation um, God cannot lie does that put God in a box God cannot deny himself does that put God in a box we, we God cannot. Uh, God cannot damn the one who is trusted in Jesus Christ. Is that putting God in a box? There are a lot of things that God cannot and will not do. And when we acknowledge that, we're not stripping away any of God's authority or power or sovereignty to simply acknowledge that, look, God himself confines himself and, and, and tells us the parameters in which he is going to work. We know that there are certain things that God is never going to do. And we're not talking about his power. We're talking about how God has revealed himself. So I'm not saying God cannot speak to me. I, I believe that He can. I believe God could speak to me through a leprechaun in my refrigerator if He wanted to, but I have no reason to believe that He will, and a lot of good reasons to believe that He won't. So when I say that God's not going to speak to me through a leprechaun in my refrigerator, I'm not putting God in a box, and it would be wrong for somebody to object and say, "Well, you just you're putting God in a box. You're telling what God what He can and cannot do." I'm saying, no, what I how I'm expecting God to speak to me in scripture is exactly in keeping with how he has revealed himself in scripture and what he has said about how it is that he speaks to us.
0: Amen. So Amen. that's something
1: of a canard. It's, really a, it's yeah. really a canard intended to get you off of the main topic, which is how does God speak to us today? Because we're not talking about God's power. We're talking about what God has already revealed that he does and does not do.
0: Yeah, that would be a logic logical fallacy. I need my I need my Justin Peters' logical fallacies here, right? Uh, or what would that <laughs> be? Big? Is that a red herring? Or a big? I'm not good on my logical fall. Maybe it's begging the question. Anyway, yeah, I have to of that. But you may know better than that. But um, but let me let me ask you this, because we hear this a lot as well. And the and and if it is prevalent, it is in the seeker sensitive Baptist churches today. Is what do people mean when they say? A sp- we want a spirit filled church. I, I think you can have a spirit filled church. But what mo- when most people say, "Hey, we want the we want the spirit to move today," or we want a spirit filled worship service today, you or, got something?
2: Well, just or you would, they might would say, "You should have been at church today, Jim. The Holy mm. Spirit was mm. really moving." Mm. He, he showed up,
1: to- did he? He
2: showed up <laughs> and showed out, right? <laughs> so, what does that mean when somebody says says that the spirit was really moving today? How do you judge that? How do you gauge when he moves a little, a lot, a bunch? How do we do that? What does it mean?
1: Well, sometimes we have to confess that this the spirit blows where he wills and uh, we can see discern the effects of it, but we can't necessarily always see um, everything that the Spirit of God is doing. I'm completely content to say that the Spirit of God is free to do all kinds of things um, that I would not expect. And he's free to move without me knowing that he's moving. Um, so we have to come back to the question of what does the work of the spirit look like i think john jesus in john 14 15 16 answers that for us the work of the spirit is to testify to christ so where is christ revealed he is revealed in scripture and so i would say that the work of the spirit amongst the people of god at church or in our lives is when we are brought face to face with the revelation that god has given of his being in the person of christ the holy spirit opens our eyes and illuminates our hearts so that we behold christ we see ourselves as we are in truth, we see Christ as he is in truth, and our hearts are set aflame with love and affection and desire for Christ and and desire to obey him and an understanding of scripture. That all is a move of the Spirit of God. What most people mean when they say the Spirit showed up or man, it was really that place was just filled with the Holy Spirit. What they really mean is that there was a lot of emotion there, uh, probably a lot of music, uh, maybe a lot of dramatic things that people were crying. And, and so this is always associated with the, the work of the Holy Spirit. And and those phenomena can be present even when truth is not. It's very easy to manipulate people with music or with uh, stories and anecdotes. But I would say that that's not the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit is taking the Word of God and applying it to the heart and instructing the heart of the believer in Scripture so that the believer is brought to an, a deeper and more profound truth-filled, truth-centered, word-centered understanding of Christ and God's word. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And if if that is not present, if the word is not present, understanding the word, rightly handling the word, the proclamation of the word, if the word of God is not present amongst the people of God, the spirit of God is not there doing anything. The spirit works through the word in conjunction with his word to sanctify his people. And if you can have a, an, a, an, a service where there's a lot of emotion, and a lot of activity and a lot of things going on. People weeping and and people having all these experiences. But the word of God is not there. That may be a work of a spirit, but it's not the work of the Holy Spirit.
0: Hmm. That's a that's a really good point. MacArthur says it like this. He says, whenever you see a work that is really the matter or the, really the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you will see men humbled, and you will see Christ exalted. Men humbled. That's right and christ exalted yeah and, and and i think if pastors i mean if pastors really want to see the movement of the holy spirit if they want to see the work of the holy spirit preach the word preach yeah. christ crucified right that that is what we're to be doing as men of god as men who are standing up there be in the word daily uh, 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 your your ministry behind that pulpit you are you are digging into that word daily and and you are a you are a godly man because you have been in that word daily you are praying you are before the face of God you are praying for your people you are praying that God would illuminate that scripture to your heart and you are standing up there and you boldly proclaim that word and you exegete that text and you and you say thus saith the Lord because this is what He has written down and you preach Christ and Him crucified and that is when you're going to see a mighty movement with the Holy Spirit. Enough with the 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 music behind the 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 pastor pl- the, uh, 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 talking. Enough when I think Ray Comfort says it best is when I when I when you realize that you're a sinner and that you have come to face to face before the Lord and that you have sinned against a holy God and you say, Whoa, 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 wait a second. Get me an a key of G back here real quick Before we can finish this up you, You've done something to manipulate people And that's not what ministers are to do They are yeah. to uphold the word of God And preach the word of God And you really want to see a movement of the Holy Spirit in your church Preach the word Exegete the word you, anything? You're a yeah, just, sponsor of the word Please Listen, I
1: would just say that if We're not talking, we need to recognize there's a difference between preaching the word and preaching about the word. Those are two totally different things. And many pastors today think that they're preaching uh, the word when they get up and and read a verse and then go off on a hundred rabbit trails and tell stories and anecdotes and give quotes and movie clips. And that's not preaching scripture. Preaching scripture, preaching the word is when you take a passage. And I prefer to start at the beginning of a book and go at the end of a book. You take a passage of scripture and you get into that and you come to the meaning of that passage of scripture. And then you communicate that meaning and the implications of that meaning to your congregation in context so that they understand scripture the way that the original audience would have understood that passage of scripture. And they come to the same understanding of that. Then they're hearing the same voice of God in that scripture that the original audience would have heard. That's expository preaching. That is exposing the meaning of Scripture and not taking a meaning that's foreign to Scripture and importing it into that passage and then preaching your own predilections and your own personal preferences and your own ideas and stories and anecdotes. And far too many pastors think that their role is to get up there and wow the congregation with mm-hmm. with stories and tales and 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 things from the mission field and, and whatever else might come to mind. The pastor's role is to take the, find the meaning of scripture and communicate that to his people and so that they see the implications of that, how it applies to their lives. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, a lot of pastors will try and substitute a PowerPoint presentation or a movie clip or some emotional appeal in the place of that because there's no power in their message. They have to have that emotional appeal because that's the only power that they have is to is to appeal to the emotions, because they're certainly not um, drawing upon the power of the Holy Spirit in the word itself.
0: Absolutely. And I hear so many pastors lifting themselves up. And in the famous words of our Jimmy, handsome Jimmy Higgs, lift him up. Right. Lift Christ up. And at the end of your sermon, if you haven't lifted Christ up, you've not done much at all. We need to lift yeah. him up so that we're humbled before him. J.I. Packer says this. and We're going to end here. What is a Christian? He can be described from many angles, but from what we have said, it is clear that we can cover everything by saying he is a man who acknowledges and lives under the word of God. He submits without reserve to the word of God written in the scripture of truth, believing the teaching, trusting the promises, following the commands. His eyes are to God of the Bible as his father and the Christ of the Bible as his savior.
1: That's spirit led and that's spirit filled.
2: Amen. Amen. It's been good having you the last few episodes. I tell you, a blessing. Uh, Pray for your ministry, and uh, good to have you here. So, thank you. Anyway, we'll see you next time on Life Song Radio.